Okay, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Na'amaduhu wa nasalli ala rasulihil kareem amma ba'd. We express our praise and gratitude to Allah Ta'ala. We seek blessings of the Prophet, peace be upon him. Continuing our exploration of the study of Quran. We are on Surah Al-Baqarah, Surah 2, Ayah 26. Okay, let's continue. Truly God is not ashamed to set forth the parable of a gnat or something smaller. I believe you're right. I believe we did 26 before. Okay, so then let's okay. go to 27. 27. Um, those who break God's pact after accepting his covenant and sever what God has commanded be joined and work corruption upon the earth, it is they who are the losers. Okay. The, the covenant mentioned in this verse is understood as the general obligation of human beings to acknowledge God's oneness and worship him as understood in the pre-eternal covenant between God and human beings. Okay, so so the, the key to misguidance is to be the people who are fasiqun, as described in the previous ayah. And of those people, we have three attributes. One is they break the pact with Allah after um, accepting his covenant. And so one understanding of the covenant is this thing in pre-eternity where Allah Ta'ala rounded all of us up and said, am I not your Lord? And we all said, yes, you are. And then continue. Or it refers to... <laughs> or it refers to, and they swore by God their most solemn oaths that were Warner to come unto them, they would be more rightly guided than any of the communities. Mm -hmm. So they're also making a pact to Allah. If you give us this then we're going to be really good. Just like, you know, when you're with uh, your parents and you really want this toy, you say, I promise I'm never going to ask for another toy again. I'm never going to misbehave again if you give me this toy. They know you're you're not going to be able to keep that promise. You might even know you're not going to be able to keep that promise. But you make the promise, you get the toy, and one day later, oh, I need this other toy. Yeah. I think a toy is no longer relevant to my sort of age group. Yeah, perhaps not. You know, still relevant to my age group, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um... Which means the Arabs, this verse, which means the Arabs before the coming of the Prophet. Or it refers to a specific covenant made with the people of the book. Um, see this essay, The Chronic View of Sacred History and Other Religions. Okay. Some say that what God has commanded be joined refers to blood ties, whose importance and maintenance as commanded by God appears elsewhere in the Quran. Yeah, so, so basically um, the second attribute is that they split what Allah has ordered to be joined. And the common understanding is family. Um, reverence, family relations, arham. Yeah, so that's basically, literally it's wombs okay. by, by, uh, and then by extension, family relations. But family relations have the strongest claim on one another in the book of God. Family relations are closer to one another according to the book of God. Were you to turn away, would you perchance work corruption upon the earth and break your family relations? Others consider it to include any such divine command to keep things joined. Some mention in this context that not only the Arabs had blood ties to the Prophet, the Jews did also, since Isaac and Ishmael, the progenitor of the Arabs, were brothers. The losers are such in the sense of being bereft of something. Chassir, Chassir, Chassir yeah. can, come, can also denote being lost in the sense of losing one's way or losing oneself. Yeah, so the second thing is to the they split what Allah is or to be joined, and third is that they were corruption on the earth, and then these people are the losers. Okay, let's continue. Twenty-eight. How can you disbelieve in God, <coughs> seeing that you were dead and He gave you life? Then He causes you to to die. Then He gives you life. Then unto Him shall you, you be returned. The four stages mentioned here 
are before birth, during earthly life, earthly death, and resurrection. See also Surah 40, Ayah 11, they will say, Our Lord, thou hast caused us to die twice over and given us life twice over. The initial lifelessness, literally dead, is understood either as one's existence in the material stuff of the body, literally in the loins of one's parents or in the dust of the earth, or as the state of being a thing unremembered, as in Surah 76, Ayah 1, or unknown in that a thing is called dead among the Arabs, when its traces are effaced and it is not mentioned or remembered. Madhur. And in either sense, it refers to our non-existence before our life in this world. Someone like the Sufi mystic Ibn Arabi would understand the lifelessness of our pre-earthly condition to be a state of non-manifestation within God's knowledge, as opposed to nothingness in the ordinary sense of this term. That to which life is first given would thus be that form, surah, in God's eternal knowledge. Okay, so that's interesting. So all, almost the, well, the entirety of this note is focused on the first phase there, that you were dead. Um, and so there's examples of what it could mean. And I like the Ibn Arabi reference that existence is, is existence in God's knowledge. And so lifelessness is to not be in God's knowledge. What do you think about that? <laughs> so think about it this way. Uh, think of an imaginary person right now. Okay? Some imaginary person. Give that person uh, an imaginary biography and residence. Okay? Okay. Now let's say that imaginary person is walking across the street and then gets hit by a car. Okay. Okay? And dies. Okay. Did that person exist? Yes. Where? They, it, they exist in your imagination. Yeah. Uh, as far as they know, do they exist? Perhaps. Maybe, yeah. So thus we may be in, for lack of a better way to describe it, God's imagination. Okay. And so that's the point being made here. That prior to entering God's imagination, if that is a thing... That could be the lifelessness here. Hmm. But what everyone agrees upon is that is this state of, you know, before having existence. Good. I'm just thinking that one might see the difference of this, like, in, in speaking of consciousness, we have different, maybe the word for it could be levels, levels of thought, hmm. a thought more vivid than others. And so what might it mean to be a dismissive thought in God's knowledge? Okay, yeah. A dismissive thought in God's mm -hmm. knowledge. Yeah. Not something I think you'd want to be. Sure. Okay, um, 29. 29. He it is who created for you all that is on earth. Then he turned to heaven and fashioned it into seven heavens, and he's the knower of all things. Yeah. For God's creation of things for human beings, see also several other verses, this idea also relates to God's making creation subservient to human beings, as in several other verses. Turned to translates the verb estawa, mm -hmm. which is also rendered mounted in other contexts. For the seven heavens, also see 41.12, where the context is the six days of creation. 67.3, in which they are one upon another. 
6512, which also mentions the creation from the earth, the like thereof, that is, earths upon earths. The early Quran commentator Mujahid mentions heavens above one one other and earths above one another. Mm -hmm. And 7115, which also mentions levels of heavens. Okay, so yeah, here's some of its grammatical analysis, and and so it doesn't really give us too much in terms of insights, more just focus on meanings. Yeah. And so we just have this idea of heavens upon heavens that Allah Ta'ala has formed. Okay, not much there. Let's continue to 30. And when thy Lord said to the angels, I am placing a besiderant upon the earth, they said... Wilt thou place therein one who will work corruption therein and shed blood while we hymn thy praise and call thee holy? I have never heard it articulated that way. <laughs> yes, yeah, here. He said, Truly, I know what you know not. So, the sidrant renders khalifa, a word that can also mean successor, deputy. Hence, khalifat rasulullah, or successor, steward of God's messenger, shortened to khalifa anglicized as caliph. In some verses, such as here in and in Surah 6, Ayah 165, Khalifa appears to denote a universal human inheritance and responsibility since all human beings are in their inner reality the Khalifa of God. In others, the sense of successor comes to the fore, as in Surah 7, Ayah 69, which refers to the sigerance of the people of Noah. At another level, of interpretation, some commentators say that khalifa comes from khalifa, to come after, and means that human beings come after all cre creatures and all grades of being are summarized in the human state. Mm -hmm. Ibn Abbas is reported to have said that Iblis was a member of a tribe of angels called Al-Hin, mm -hmm. a word related to jinn, was named Al-Harith and was a custodian of paradise. All the angels were created from light, except this tribe, which was created from smokeless fire. The first to inhabit the earth were the jinn, who caused corruption there and spilled blood. Then God sent Iblis among that host of angels called Abhin. Iblis and his compatriots killed them and sent them off to the islands of the sea and the edges of the mountains. He was filled with pride for accomplishing something no one else had done. After Adam's body was created from clay, it remained a lifeless form for 40 years, during which Iblis taunted it by flying in and out of it, saying, You are nothing. If I come to power over you, I will destroy you. And if you come to power over me, I will defy you. Then it was said to those angels who were with Iblis, not all the angels, that they should prostrate before Adam. Iblis said, No, I will not prostrate before him. I am better than him, older and greater. You created me from fire, while you created him from clay. The only other indication in the Quran of such an order of creation is found in Surah 15, Ayahs 26 to 27, and we indeed created man from dried clay, made of molded mud, and the jinn we created earlier from scorching fire. That jinn inhabited the earth before human beings is accepted by many commentators, but Al-Razi prefers the opinion that God spoke to all the angels, not only those who warred alongside Iblis. Nevertheless, some specifics of the story, such as that Iblis was a member of a tribe of angels, can hardly be counted as reliable, and are certainly from popular narratives, since an authority such as Ibn Abbas would have known that the Quran in Surah 18, Ayah 50, identifies Iblis as a jinn, not an angel. So who is Ibn Abbas? I've heard of him. Ibn Abbas was one of the companions of the Prophet, peace be upon him. Oh. And he was nicknamed the Mufassir of, of, of the Sahaba. So he's the one who's been gifted with understanding of the Quran. Oh. 
So yeah, if he's saying something, it's pretty authoritative. And you all hear this as a common theory that you know Iblis was among the jinns, and so the command is for him. And Ibn Abbas is saying no. Mm-hmm. Okay. Let's continue. It does, however, provide one possible explanation for the angel's question, wilt thou place therein? Namely, that they had previous experience with the blood and corruption of the earth's previous inhabitants. However, many commentators explain the angel's apparently audacious question as an expression of wonder on their part rather than doubt or concern. They marvel at God's wisdom but are not alarmed by it. It is thought that disobedience or any brand of rebelliousness is impossible for angels. Though Al-Razi notes, uh, I've been realizing why that's hard for me to say, yeah. Al-Razi. Yeah, Al-Razi, yeah. Not, uh, okay, Whew. But they write the L. Mm-hmm. Notes that the uh, Mutazilites believed that angels could be disobedient. Mm-hmm. So the Mutazilites were these green, these Greek thinkers. They're, I mean, they're Muslims, but they were inf- their thought was informed by Hellenism, and they tended to focus tremendously on grammar as their foundation. So it's not the same as being literalist, but they were very literal towards grammar, and and so they believe angels could be disobedient, but by and large, Muslims do not. Yeah. Him thy praise and call thee holy can also be read, we glorify thee while praising thee. I know what you know not is generally understood to mean that despite the inevitability of bloodletting and corruption, good things will come of the creation of human beings, but only God knows what they are. As mentioned in Surah 2, Ayah 11 through 12, such corruption can also refer to the degradation of the natural environment. Yeah, that's, uh, um, that's referring to the note in Surah 2, uh, Surah 2 Ayah 11 and 12. Um, but yeah, so corruption in the world can be corruption of the environment. That's something that's very much influenced by the thought of Sayyid Hussein Nasser. He pushes that point quite a bit. Uh, okay, let's go to Ayah 31. And he taught Adam the names, all of them. Then he laid them before the angels and said, Tell me the names of these if you are truthful. Some derive Adam, Adam from Adim, meaning the surface of the earth, in keeping with the Hadith. Truly, God created Adam from a handful taken from the entire earth. The children of Adam thus correspond to the earth, some being red or black or white or in between, and they experience ease and sorrow, bad and good. The names Adam is taught are considered by some, such as Ibn Abbas, to be those that people use in discourse with one another, such as man, sea, mountain, and even kettle. Mm. To others, such as Mujahid, they are the names of everything. Still others say he was taught the names of the angels or that he was taught the names of all his progeny, which the commentator Al-Tadari prefers in part because the pronoun hum is used rather than ha, indicating human or angelic named objects. Okay, so the key point there is that, um, so in Arabic grammar, if you have an inanimate plural, it receives a feminine f- singular, right. right? And so here, it's not the feminine singular, it's the, the masculine plural. Mm-hmm. And thus, he's saying it's not referring to, it's referring to people and such, or humans. The, the plural of persons, human beings and angels, is the masculine pl- plural, but the plural of other things, animals and animate objects, is usually expressed by the feminine singular pronoun. Yeah. Though this rule does not always hold, uh, such as in Surah 24, Ayah 45, where home refers to beasts, 
For Arazi, this means that Adam indeed was taught all the languages of the earth, and his descendants came to prefer one over the others in the course of time. The commentator Tabrisi adds that a similar process would have taken place after the flood. Laid them before refers either to the names themselves or to the objects named. For some, to be taught the names of things means to be given knowledge of all things. Ibn Arabi's interpretation of this passage begins by pointing out that in relation to the world, angels are like the spiritual and sensory faculties in human beings. As the faculties of men and women are diverse, so are the angels in their myriad functions arrayed in a, arranged, no, arrayed in a hierarchy. Each human faculty or power is by definition limited to what it is in itself. Mm -hmm. And each angel, by Ibn Arabi's an at analogy, is limited to what it is that is in its knowledge and function. Thus, each of these faculties is veiled and cannot see anything superior to itself. Adam was capable of knowing all the divine names, unlike the angels who did not possess the synthesis possessed by Adam, and were not aware of the divine names by which it, namely Adam's synthetic reality, is set apart such that they could glorify the real and proclaim him holy through them. Nor did they know that God possesses names to whose knowledge they did not attain, therefore not glorifying him with them, nor proclaiming him holy as Adam did. Thus Adam could know God in ways that angels could not. Mm -hmm. So so here we're talking about what does it mean that Allah has taught him the names of all things, and a common understanding is that the names of Allah are being taught here. Other understandings include language uh, or just the names of everything. But primarily a common understanding is that he's been taught the names of Allah. That was a, that was quite the paragraph. That, mm -hmm. that was just a long paragraph. Yeah. Okay. Um, 32? 30, yeah, 32. They said, Glory be to thee. We have no knowledge save what thou hast taught us. Truly thou art the knower, the wise. This verse indicates the limitation of the knowledge of God by angels as far as the universal comprehensive nature of this knowledge is concerned. Mm -hmm. That was pretty simple straightforward. Yeah. Um, okay, 33. He said, Adam, tell them their names. And when he had told them their names, he said, Did I not say to you that I know the unseen of the heavens and the earth, and that I know what you disclose and what you use to conceal? For the unseen of the heavens and the earth See also several other verses in Fenora of the Unseen. There are more references. What you used to conceal could refer to Iblis's pride or to the belief attributed to the angels that God never creates a thing except that we are more noble than it. But with this interpretation, the angels would have accepted Adam's excellence without objection, and what they concealed would have been virtue, not the pride one might gather from their judgment of their own nobility. Um, there, I don't know if I agree. Because uh, it's applying these attributes to angels right. that I do not know that they have. Um, nevertheless, it's again saying, you know, it could mean this, or it could mean this, or it could mean this, or it could mean this. And so take your pick. Mm -hmm. Okay, 34. And when we said to, to the angels, prostrate unto Adam, they prostrated, save Iblis. He refused and waxed arrogant mm. and was among the disbelievers. I've, I've never seen that word used as an, is that a verb? Yes, yeah, a lot waxed poetic. You'll, you'll hear waxed arrogant. I don't think I've heard that. Yeah. 
That's odd that the 34 had no commentary. But, because it's the prostration. Alright. Let's go to 35. We said, O Adam, dwell thou and thy wife in the garden, and eat freely thereof, wheresoever you will. But approach not this tree, lest you be among the wrongdoers. <laughs> the story of the fall of Adam and Eve from paradise appears here, and in Surah 7, Ayah 19-25, and in 20... I 120 to 123. Relative to Genesis 2 through 3, the chronic account gives fewer details. Some commentators mention an array of details about Adam, Eve, the garden, and the fall, many of which find their origin in Jewish and Christian and perhaps even Arab oral traditions. Many of these traditions describe Eve, Hawa, who is referred to as Adam's wife rather than Eve in the Quran. The kind of tree or plant from which Adam and Eve ate apple versus some type of grain what form Iblis took, and even where they were first exiled. But some of these details are not attested to very strongly in the Hadith, and some, such as some registered by Al-Tabari, do not rise above the level of folklore. The Quran itself provides the foundation and details of the story of Adam and Eve, which has a different meaning in Islam than in Judaism or Christianity. Mm -hmm. And so you know the differences, right? So... One is in in the Bible, the serpent is convincing Eve to convince Adam, mm -hmm. and here, Shaitan makes them both forget, and they both go to the tree, and then they both seek forgiveness, and they're both forgiven. Whereas in the Bible, they're feeling ashamed, and I don't know that they actually ask for forgiveness, but then they're punished by going down to earth. Whereas we're saying the whole mission was to be on earth in the first place. Mm -hmm. so. The garden which Adam and Eve dwelled is indeed paradisal. They would neither hunger therein nor go naked, neither thirst therein nor suffer from the heat of the sun. In addition to experiencing the unconstrained enjoyment of the garden's fruits, as mentioned in this verse, eating from the tree, according to Iblis, would have made them angels or able to live forever, as mentioned in Surah 7, Ayah 20. And in Surah 20, Ayah 120, he promises them the tree of everlastingness and a kingdom that never decays. Among the possibilities offered for the type of tree are grain, grapevine, and fig. The Quran never uses the word fruit in this context, but says only that they ate from the shajara, a word that can include also vegetative growth, such as trees, shrubs, and bushes. Mm -hmm. So meaning it's, there's no apple. There's no known apple. Yeah. Okay. Let's One continue. view... There's also no apple in the Bible either. Right. Yeah. Keep going? Yeah. One view has it that the promise of eternal life mentioned in Surah 7, Ayah 20, and Surah 20, Ayah 120 would have had no attraction if Adam were already dwelling in the Garden of Rewards, which the Quran promises to believers. The command to get down is the same verb used in Ayah 61, go down to a town, where... It does not imply a vertical descent, but a change in location. Moreover, those who enter the garden will not be expelled therefrom. Also, if Adam were created from earth, then where is the ascent from earth to heaven in this account? The commentator of Al-Qurtubi, yes. who is not of this opinion, also mentions that the Quran says of the garden, they hear therein 
neither idle talk nor lying. Mm. Where's Cordoba from? I do not know. Cordoba. Okay. So he was a major legal commentator from Spain. Yeah. And yet Iblis did lie to them, which is indeed how he caused them to be expelled from it. These considerations would seem to indicate that this is a different garden from the Garden of Rewards. The consensus view, though, is that the Garden of Adam and the Promised Garden are the very same. It is not a garden, but the garden, well known as the eternal garden promised to believers. Some respond to the opinion that Iblis could not have lied in the garden by arguing that he could have whispered to them from somewhere outside the garden, and that the promise never to be expelled applies only to those granted entry to paradise after their sojourn on earth as a reward for their good deeds. Okay, so what he's saying there, I'm trying to figure out, is this the garden of paradise? Is this Jannah? Right. And so some are of the opinion that no, he wouldn't be able to lie there, so maybe he's outside somehow whispering in. But it's uh, academic speculation. Yeah. I mean, I've even heard people say it's Jordan. Yeah. Is Jordan Jordan? Yeah, for some people, apparently. <laughs> yeah. People have never been to Chicago. Keep going. Uh, yeah, let's finish it off. Surveying these options, Arazi offers this final possibility. These are all possible, and the textual proofs are weak and contradictory. So one should cease and refrain from being categorical, and God knows best. On this and similar issues, such as Eve's creation and entry in the garden, he takes a similar attitude, that one cannot know for sure and one does not need to know, and that this is not central to, to the chronic telling of the account. Alrighty, so we finish off at I-35, next time we'll do I-36. Mm-hmm. Any last questions or thoughts? Okay. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashadu la ilaha illa anta. Nastaghfirukhan tu ilaik wa akhir da'wana anilhamdulillahi rabbil alameen.